to Success Beneath the Surface, hosted by Deborah Fell, Managing Partner at Chief Outsiders. Deborah provides insights specifically for CEOs from growth-oriented companies. Hi, Brian. Welcome to the Success Beneath the Surface podcast. To everyone, I'm here with Brian Williamson, who is brand and video leader and chief story seller for Google and YouTube, taking on quite a bunch of mega star companies, I might add. Brian, how are you today? I'm doing well. So great to be here. Good. So what I'd really like to hear about today, and I think the listeners would like to hear, is your story. How did you get from where you started, not necessarily back to birth, but how did you get from where you started to where you are today in your big role with Google and YouTube? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm, I think of myself as a 20-year digital veteran. I've been in digital media for two decades now, two decades plus. And it's a great question. I think it's a bit of upbringing, a bit of luck, a bit of like making the right choices and, you know, kind of hard work throughout to, to kind of find it all. I grew up in a really small town in upstate New York called Rushville, New York, this tiny farming town. But I always had this desire to travel and get out and do big things. Even when I was in high school, I kind of like, I just had this desire for more. I just wanted more. Not in a selfish way, but in an exploring kind of way. Yes. And I was very lucky to go to school and land my first job in New York City at an ad agency. And being in New York is certainly a big difference from the small farm town I grew up in. And things really like caught some momentum from there, for sure. Talk about the story seller. Like at first I'm thinking, is this a typo? But I don't think a guy like Brian is going to have a typo here. Why story seller versus storyteller? Yeah, it's a great question. So I spent my first 10 years in marketing. Mm -hmm. So I came in, my first job was at an ad agency, Avenue A Razorfish in New York City. It's an incredible company and I had so much fun, incredible peers and leaders. And I just learned so much. That first job I thought of as more of a, a master's in digital marketing. You know, this is the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. Internet advertising is just getting underway. So I'm there since the beginning. But I spent 10 years in marketing, really, meaning that I spent half my day brainstorming ideas, responding to RFPs from mm -hmm. brands. So I spent half my day ideating and trying to come up with big executable ideas. I spent the other half of my day actually executing the ideas we sold for I about mean, 10 I, years. I have to say you caught me there because I never yeah. would think that RFP and ideating would be in the same breath. But anyway, please well, keep going. It depends, <laughs> it depends on the role you're in. So I'll give you an example. So okay. I, my second job was at Maxim Magazine. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Maxim Magazine, it was actually on the digital side. So Dennis Publishing had a few magazines. One was Maxim and I was on the digital side at Maxim.com and brands like Absolute Vodka and Gillette and all these CPG, auto, alcohol, et cetera, brands wanted to be in the magazine and be on our website. So they would send us proposals and we'd come up with big ideas of things they could do. And remember at Maxim, if you're familiar you know, it's men's magazine targeted at 18 to 34 year olds, especially it was a brand known for fun and parties and humor and sports and sex and all kinds of stuff. There was a, a creative playground, if you will, on the ideas we could come up with. So it was really a lot of fun. And, you know, what was really interesting was I was in my first month that I was there. We got an RFP from one of the Razor brands and I was new to the team. 
But I had an idea. So one of my ideas was we we're going to do a series of poker tips with one of the women who was a writer for us about poker. And this Razor brand was going to sponsor it, et cetera. And it was one of the ideas we submitted and it got sold. So my first idea at Maxim ended up, ended up getting sold. I was so excited. And my boss is like, you know, it doesn't happen every time. You know, <laughs> the, the sell-through rate is, is much lower than 100%. But, but congratulations. And by the way, you have to go execute it. Okay. Because I sold it, I had to go execute it. But what I had sold was a series of videos yes. on Maxim.com yes. that was going to pull in the brand. I'd never done it before. Mm-hmm. So here I am in New York City. I have to hire a video crew, hire a number of people, basically play the role of producer mm-hmm. to do this. And it was really hard, but I did it. And I got like a bug in me from that. And that was the seed of video that was planted okay. in me. I've had this career long passion for video ever since, because I find it challenging and fun and creative wow. and sight, sound and motion is kind of the most exciting to me of compared to what's out there. So that was the beginning for me, for sure, the launch pad. You know, what strikes me, and maybe I'm reaching here, but I didn't grow up on a farm, but I've been on a farm and I read and seen news segments and so forth where being on a farm, there's somewhat self-sufficiency. Stuff happens on a farm. You have animals, you have the field, you have the environment, you have rain or not rain, all kinds of things happen. So there's a self-sufficiency and a need to figure it out. And I'm not saying you had to figure it out when you were 10 years old, but certainly growing up in that environment, and I don't know if it was a working farm or not, Mm -hmm. but things happen. Big stuff happens that you probably just had to figure out and self-navigate, which I don't know if that's how you think of growing up on the farm or not, but it seems that there was some muscle built up in you perhaps even growing up that said, okay, it's something I've never done. I've never seen this before, but I can figure it out. I can see my way through to the end of it. I think that's absolutely true of the community that I was in. I myself didn't grow up on a farm. I was in our really small town, but that was true of like all the adults around me and all the people around me. And I'd say what I got from my parents, especially was just the small town mentality. The thing you learn is just the hard work. My dad was an engineer, so he drove an hour to the closest city to us. My mom was our school bus driver when I was a kid, and she delivered mail when I was a little older. And they worked really hard, and everyone in our town did. And that was was part of this, too. Yeah. So I'm still not sure we got it. And sorry, I don't know why I jumped to farm. Maybe that's... (laughs) I said I grew up in a farm town. I guess I alluded that I... Sure, that immediately emerged in my mind was this amazing farm. I had it a working farm. I saw you working with animals, working with the ground, you know, pulling whatever out of the ground. But anyway, I digress. But I think that is kind of well said in terms of what the work ethic was and that it does take work. So your manager at the firm or the CEO of the firm that said, it's not going to be 100%. It's not going to be this easy every time. Certainly, once you got into the work, you realize that. I don't think you answered the part around story seller, though. Yeah, for sure. Seller versus story seller. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I think, you know, I spent 10 years in marketing and 10 years in sales. And I think that career combo is what turned me into a story seller. So there's a lot of ways to sell, right? I have one of my first bosses and a mentor in my life to this day. He can sell anything. I mean, he could sell watches out of his jacket. He could sell used cars. He could sell anything. I am effective at selling things that I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. 
So I am a high passion person. I'm a high energy person. I'm essentially best when I have infectious enthusiasm. If we get me on the right topic, mm-hmm. I can sell you on it. Mm-hmm. So I've tried to always align my career with things I'm really passionate about. I've been passionate about video. I've been passionate about marketing. I'm passionate about, there's a number of things. Video has certainly been one of the big themes, but I think the 10 years in marketing is what made the selling part. Mm-hmm. My superpower is building powerful stories that change mindsets, challenge biases, push stories forward. Mm-hmm. And I've come to learn a lot of tips and tricks and tools to effectively do that. You know, my role now, it's interesting in how we met is I spoke to a large audience of CMOs and I do this all the time. You know, I've spent the last several years talking to marketing leaders. And what's interesting is that you would assume if you're a young person, you would assume that the higher of of ranking of folks you speak to, the more sophisticated the conversations, but that's actually not true. You actually need to rely on stories and analogies and framing, you know, exercises that bring everyone in together because everyone's knowledge level is different and leaders aren't on the day-to-day practicing side too. So I think powerful stories are one of the most effective ways to bring people along, which is why I call it story selling. Because I've also always been in roles where we're, we're trying to push someone and nudge someone in a certain direction. Right. And, you know, our audience here is, is really CEOs. Of course. Uh, running companies, whether they founded them, whether they're later generations or whether they're a CEO of a company that they've taken on. And one of the things that strikes me about what you're saying is that this business of story selling, having a story that's authentic, that's real in order to connect with customers or clients, and it can be told in multiple ways via video, but the story unfolds across channels these days. And every channel will either tell part of the story or be just a fragmented bullet that's flying out there. Our CMOs talk with CEOs every day about telling the story, the authentic story, but how would you speak about that from your perspective if you had an audience of CEOs in front of you here? How would I tell them? How does, you know, when you think about the story of a company and you spoke a lot about brand, yeah. and the importance of brand. Well, I was kind of raised on the idea of brand as a promise. It really is a lot of, about what is the story of the brand these days, it seems to me. And mm-hmm. how is that story told across the internet when a consumer or a prospect touches or makes a fields an inquiry, you know, something is returned and it's telling something about the brand, but the story is being sold in your language across all these different touch points or or not, if there isn't a story that is intentionally being laid out in some way. What's your perspective on that for the CEO who may not necessarily realize that to sell a story, you gotta have a story? Yeah, absolutely. I think about this from one of the best exercises that any brand can do is mission, vision, values. And if your company has been around for 20 years, you've done it. You know, you've done it. And I would say consistently dust it off. Mm-hmm. Is your mission, is your vision, are your values still the same? How have they changed? How have they changed? Not because the personality of the company has changed because you've gone from 20 people to 100, but because it's 2023. 
and the ecosystem and AI and machine learning and, and all these other things are at play, maybe changing or shaping the, the way we go forward. So I think having a very clear mission, vision, values that's very current. Mm -hmm. And then starting with what's the one sentence description of the company? Ooh. What's the two sentence description? What's the one paragraph? What's the one page? What's the two page? What's the thing we put on our website? And if you nail those, then you're ready to answer at any point. Mm -hmm. Quick interview, long exclusive interview with the Wall Street Journal, whatever it ends up being, you'll have those answers. But I think what's in the most critical in those one-liners, two-liners, et cetera, is what is your brand's purpose and how is it distinct? Mm -hmm. Every one of the CEOs that you work with and CMOs you work with partnered with these companies who have so much competition. And you know, one of the kind of mistakes, if you will, for lack of a better term that I see is that brands have this really catchy kind of one-liner about what they do, but a lot of other people do the same thing. Yes. So there's no nod to the uniqueness mm -hmm. that you bring versus others, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely makes sense. And does that yeah. uniqueness matter most to that client? Yeah. Because if it doesn't, it can be as unique as the day is long, but it, it will have no purpose for the target. And, so and, and you have to be authentic, not aspirational. You know, I think sometimes brands are like, here's who we want to be. So we're going to describe ourselves in the way we want to be, but you often will get in trouble. And COVID was a great example. Mm -hmm. COVID comes and all these brands are responding in the marketplace. They're saying, Hey, we're here to support you. Here's yes. who we are. We're here to support yes. you. And there was brands that did that where you were like, thank you, I believe you. Yeah. And there was brands where you're like, eh, I don't know if this has really been your thing before yes. now. And uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's landing for me in an authentic way, right? So that was an example where a lot of brands were a little exposed, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. And now it's time for a quick break. CEOs need help growing their companies, but don't always have the time or money to hire a full-time chief marketing officer, CMO, or chief sales officer, CSO, or both. Recruiting a quality full-time executive can take months, not to mention the ongoing cost. In these challenging times, CEOs need battle-tested growth executives who can help companies successfully navigate the uncertain waters. Partner with chief outsider CMOs and CSOs who will function as strategic operators to build and execute your growth engines. And we're back. This business of brand, when you were in front of our team of CMOs and actually chief sales officers as well, and you spoke about brand, you know, I kind of see the periphery of my peripheral vision. I could see folks that were looking forward to hearing you. You're a big deal, dude. You know, you have some very important messages and we're involved with your brands every day of our lives, whether in our jobs or just in our life, right? But as you started talking about the importance of brand and without paying attention to brand, that a business can really roll backwards and the, and the importance of investing in the brand. I saw this whole team literally like the energy leaned forward in their chair, like, wow, he's speaking our language. And we weren't expecting to hear that from you. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't you expect that? <laughs> well, you have a lot of things that you could have spoken about. Sure, yeah. That would have more sold your company. Sure. You know, but you didn't do that. You mm -hmm. were focused on things that would matter very much to the companies that we work with and yeah. in helping our team do their jobs better. 
but you were really enlightening and illumining us into maybe some information that we already know, but we hadn't heard from you or someone like you in terms of the importance of brand, whether that's rushing up on your vision, mission, vision values, or just investing proactively in the market, in the brand. Yeah. I, branding so exciting to me because it's more art than science. It just is, you know, like some things work, some things don't, and it's hard to understand why if you A-B tested them. You're like, well, the language is similar and it still seems catchy and it's usually just taste, you know, like the marketplace responds or they don't. That's what makes it so hard, but it's what makes it so exciting. I think I've always respected mm-hmm. the challenge of trying to pull it off. And I think one of my core messages to folks is just to keep going. You know, you're going to try things. They're not going to work. Keep going. Right. Test, learn, keep going. Test, learn, keep going. Get up again and keep going. And yes. and I think, um, you know, it's interesting also the role that I'm in. I'm, I'm a brand marketing evangelist in residence. And I work with our chief brand marketing evangelist who works on a lot of our narratives um, and a lot of the things we talk about. You know, I would describe our chief marketing evangelist more like a professor who, you know, who does a lot of research, a lot of reading, also teaches as a professor, and then does 150 to 200 talks to brands a year. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not a sales role. It's not a marketing role. And maybe you were surprised because you expected a, a salesperson to come in. But we're more thinking about brand at a high level and really trying to nudge brands to, to do it. Even in a tough macroeconomic climate, even in uncertain times, because all the data we see says that if you pull back, you will feel it in a big negative way in your business. It's hard to turn around. And that message you absolutely delivered. And, and, you know, another way to say it perhaps is in uncertain times, there will be winners and there will be losers. The winners will not be the ones sitting on the sidelines waiting for something to happen. So your message was very much around that. And I also love the way that you threaded it all the way through from the brand story through the measurement piece. And I will never forget this. After your talk was over, which really was a very engaging, I don't even call it a presentation. It was a presentation, but we were with you, you know, and not just because of our line of work, but you were taking us through this story and through the examples that you were giving of done well. So at the end, I just wanted to come up and invite you on the podcast because I thought you would be brilliant choice and really interesting and engaging and illuminating to the audience, but also to thank you for being a part of our experience there. And I I meant to make it kind of more of a quick flyby, but as I saw all these people around you and you gave them each a chance to tell their story, like this is what they were saying this is what I took away from what you're saying. This is what I've been doing with the client and what you're saying really resonates. And then you would like tune into them. And then the next person would do the same thing. I must've stood there while you stood there for 20 minutes or more, just listening to each person as if they were the only person there in the room, hearing what they want to talk about, offering any last word of advice. And, and I remember one, uh, Dan was, I think the very last person and he was, with arms waving and very excited terms saying, this is what I've been working on. And you've now articulated in a way that I never could. And I'm sure Brian, he will follow up with you. But I think the listening uh, has to be a key part of your secret ingredient for story selling. 
because it's so strong in observing it. A hundred percent. I think we want to be as efficient with our money as possible and our marketing budgets. We want to be as efficient with our time too. So I want to have a very clear understanding of people's business objectives, business challenges, and then find the stories that laser focus into that to try to help. Standing around talking to everyone afterwards was as energizing as doing the talk. It was so much fun. And it's also where I get to do a lot of learning because I hear everyone's, you know, I'm, I'm almost collecting. It's like a survey. You know, each time I do a talk and collect those inputs, yes. it's like a yes. survey. Okay. Yes. Most, you know, a third of the people talk to me about measurement and the other two thirds were a bunch of different topics. And, yes. you know, and that, and that's probably about right. You know, a lot of folks have challenges on the measurement side because it's not a perfect thing to measure. We're trying to measure art. There's a lot of pieces of it that are measurable. And there's also this expectation because we're Google and YouTube and so many things are really measurable. Right. We want it to all be perfectly measurable and it's right. not. Right. So we try to identify, all right, what are the signals? What are the health indicators that we keep pay attention to right. along the way? Right. But yeah, it was a lot of fun to talk to those folks. It was a lot of fun. I think the other interesting thing that you make me think of is there are lots of metrics, lots of things to measure as you indicate. At the end of the day, if all of the marketing programs, wherever they may be involved in whatever they may be, if they're all working, but at the end of the day, the business isn't growing, the outcome of the business is not being achieved, then it's all just activity. And we don't want to confuse activity with results. What I heard from you was very much about brand, beta testing, measurement. And yes, it is art, as you say, but I hear a thread in you of, we're looking for business outcomes. We're actually measuring businesses that invest this way. Do they grow or do they not grow? So say a little bit more about how you think about that and what you see. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, in my, in my introduction at our meeting, I said, I started by saying, I have a healthy obsession with brand marketing and, and I've spent the last 15 years helping brands grow, but I started in performance. Performance was the beginning, even I, when I was on the marketing side. Uh, so yeah. I have this healthy respect for the performance right. side too. Right. And I, and most of the brands and the companies that I speak to have a gravitational pull towards performance. Yes. They want to create performance yes. engines where yes. they put in dollars and they get app downloads or they get signups or they get whatever it is. Right. And you want to be as amazing at that as you can possibly be. Yes. But what I've seen time and time again is that it maxes out. It maxes out. And if you're not fueling the funnel to fuel that action, you start to be less efficient. It, the cost of requiring customers starts to go up. Yeah. So I think what's important for brands is to have business objectives at each part of the funnel. Yeah. That's one of the most key things. And to be realistic about those. Yeah. You know, we can't have brand campaigns and consideration campaigns and action campaigns. And the measurement for all of those is sales, <laughs> right? That's right. where we that's where we lose. <laughs> and that's where and that's where awareness campaigns get yep. cut. And that's where yep. we justify not spending on it. Yeah. Because that shouldn't be the goal. We have to find other goals. So this balance between performance marketing and brand marketing, for lack of a better word, yeah. um, is a tricky one because yeah. if I'm running a business and I'm responsible for the bottom line, I want to see results. That's what I'm used to seeing. The idea of the long-term in an environment where even if I'm a long-term thinker, I need to know in the short term that something is headed in the right direction. 
So when you yeah. talk about metrics through the funnel, is that what you're satisfying? Or is that how we can satisfy that desire to know what's happening in the meantime that tells me my ultimate goal is going to pop out on the other side, or at least has a good chance of doing so? Yes, absolutely. One of the first CMOs that I worked with often said to me, you know, they used to run the Super Bowl a lot for a long time, many years. And I finally asked her, I said, why, why the Super Bowl? It seems so expensive. Like, tell me what happens. What yeah. happens when you run the Super Bowl? Yes. She said, we feel it in the business. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, just like no, no pause. She's like, we feel it in the business. I was yeah. like, okay, cool. And I walked away and I was like, wait, how, what does that mean? Right. <laughs> so then the next time I saw her, probably three months later, I was like, you said you feel it in the business, like specifically yes. how? And yeah. she described to me exactly what would happen. They especially felt this in say like 2000 to 2005 range, you know, maybe there's less impact on Super Bowl advertising now, but, but that really stuck with me that feel it in the business. Cause that's all what we ultimately want. They did this brand thing, the Super Bowl and felt it in the business. So I always think like that. And I think the ultimate goal is that branding and awareness and any, any big brand campaign that you do, ultimately you want to feel it in the business, but you have to practice patience. It might take your brand six to eight months mm-hmm. to feel that investment in your sales, in your market share, in shareholder return. Mm-hmm. But if you do it right, it will happen, but you have to be patient enough to wait that long. Yeah. Right. And I think you want to have awareness objectives with your awareness investment. Right. But if, if you do it for long enough and you do it well, you'll start to see some rising sales and your performance marketing goes a little bit further and all of a sudden you're creating this full funnel engine right. that's really powerful. And I said this at the meeting and I'll say again, of the hundreds of brands that I've met with, the most consistent thing is that the brands who are full funnel are the ones that win. And they're always on, not always on spending maximum money every month. There's going to be seasonality. There's going to be brand moments. There's going to be launches, yeah. but always reaching the three phases of the funnel in fueling the action part. So big takeaways for me here in this, yeah. help me if I've missed something, but go, going back to your not farm, <laughs> but Small in a town. farm town yeah. uh, upbringing, you both learned and earned the value of work. Yeah, they sure. put your brain and your effort into it and great things that happen, which has happened throughout your career and that you have sort of authentically been excited about building brands for many years and many ways. And I, and I continue to hear the excitement of it. Your advice, and I'm going to use the word advice, so correct me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong, to CEOs and also to marketers. But I'm going to focus yeah. on the CEOs because they need to be in this game a little bit. If they have great people doing the work, kind of stay out of their way. But there are things they need to understand and observe. This business of the funnel, top of the funnel understanding that there are metrics there that will tell you how the middle's going to turn out. And then the middle's going to tell you how the bottom turns out. And then you're going to see how that translates into business value. This comment around patience, mm-hmm. you use an expression and I'm not remembering it, but it's like patience to uh, practice patience, practice patience, because if you go for actions that may yield like some kind of tactical results, you may lose the long-term because you're investing, your investment becomes so high or it's not building foundationally in the minds and heart of your prospect. So working through the funnel and always minding the brand as part of the performance 
as well as the, the bottom of the funnel or the ultimate, whether it's customer acquisition or revenue, EBITDA, whatever the, those ultimate performances are, will come if you're following the art and science of it and being a little bit patient to, to let it happen. I'll also say that the mid-market, which is primarily who we and I focus on, may hear the word Super Bowl and say, whoa, that's not me. But I will say that every business should have its own Super Bowl. It's not the Super Bowl, but there are certain things that you need to go for that become your Super Bowl that you feel in the business. You get the closing words. What's your reaction to that? I agree. Actually, um, in the last couple of weeks, a couple of times I've said to people, this is our back to school. So similarly, you know, I think I agree with you, that notion of there's going to be this peak season yeah. that you want to capitalize on. And there might be these, you know, certain events that you attach yourself to or surround, surround sound. I think that's absolutely critical. Great. Well, thank you again. A yes. Great words of, of wisdom, a lot of energy, a lot of insight, and uh, really appreciate the time with you today and look forward to watching you continue to grow and go, Brian. Thank you so much. Thank you. This has been fantastic. Be sure to subscribe in all your favorite podcast apps. Just look for Success Beneath the Surface. Chief Outsiders, part-time growth executives with full-time results.